The views and opinions expressed during Eye on the Triangle do not represent WKNC or the student media. Your dial is currently tuned to Eye on the Triangle at WKNC 88.1. Thanks for listening. Good afternoon, Raleigh, and welcome to this week's Eye on the Triangle, a student-run, student-scripted, and student-produced news show on 88.1 WKNC HD1 Raleigh. I'm Aaron Kling. Recently, the ACT Center for Equity and Learning reported that many students lack the most up-to-date information on the Pell Grant and FAFSA, resulting in a higher student-family contribution toward tuition costs. I asked Michelle Thompson to come into the studio to discuss her experiences at the Student Financial Aid Center. Afterwards... We'll be interviewing a local legal service that has taken their practice on the road in a recreational vehicle. It's all up next, here on Eye on the Triangle. Stay tuned. I'm Aaron Kling with Eye on the Triangle, WKNC 88.1, and I'm here with Michelle Thompson, and she is the... I'm Michelle Thompson, Senior Associate Director of the Office of Scholarships and Financial Aid. Thank you, Michelle. Now, reports have been coming in that a lot of students don't quite know what financial aid they have available to them, how the government can help them out, and, and how they can subsidize a lot of their payments for, for classes, which can be quite high for many individuals. What kind of questions do you get from students when they walk into your office, and how do you typically help them? We get different questions depending upon where in the process the student is. For students that are coming in, oftentimes our questions asking about is how am I going to pay? Am I going to have enough financial aid to pay the balance on my account? How do I get more financial aid? Continuing students, their questions are a little different. They've been through the process already, so they understand how the FAFSA works and how the money is paid to their account and what refunds they get. Typically, the questions that come from upperclassmen or continuing students is more along the lines of, how do I get more aid? But more often than not, it's because they have special circumstances that didn't exist before. Maybe they have a parent who lost a job recently, or maybe they're in a situation with a roommate that they have to get out of. So they're interested in finding out ways to help them financially manage those situations. And how would they financially manage the situations? Well, from the freshman perspective, it's pretty easy to answer their questions. Most of the students have filled out the FAFSA. We just really need to describe to them how the whole financial aid process works and how the billing process works. For students that have questions that go beyond the standard financial aid process, it depends on each situation. What I always encourage students to do is come and see us. Sometimes the answer is 
unfortunately, we can't help you. We can't provide any additional financial aid or additional financial support to help you through this. However, sometimes we can offer other services that are available to them on campus. For others, particularly students who are in a financial struggle, sometimes we can help them, and it really depends on the situation. There are processes that the federal government allows us wiggle room or leeway with where we can potentially increase a student's award if the situation warrants it. That doesn't happen in all cases. It doesn't happen in a lot of cases, but there are some times that we are able to help. That's why I encourage students to come by and see us, ask the questions. There's You guys here in the classroom all the time, there's never a stupid question. We encourage them to come in and ask because you really don't know how we can help you if you don't ask us and don't let us know that you need it. This might seem like a very basic question, but I consider it an important one. I was talking with my father and he really had no knowledge of FAFSA and how FAFSA could help you. And FAFSA has been an enormous boon to me in my education. What is FAFSA? How can it help you? Well, I'll tell you a funny story about me. I graduated from high school in 1985, so I'm kind of old. And I filled out the FAFSA my first year when I was in a senior in, in high school, filled it out. And I got what we now call the Pell Grant. It wasn't called the Pell Grant back then, but called the Pell Grant now. And that was that is a grant, a federal grant for students who have high need. Essentially, the financial resources at the home are not really sufficient to support college tuition and fees. That first year I filled out the FAFSA, that first year I got the Pell Grant, I never filled out the FAFSA again. I work in financial aid and I never filled out the FAFSA for almost the entire time that I was in college, partly because I was able to to work um, through summers and pay for my school myself. But honestly, with today's tuition and fees, I don't even know that working part-time in a situation that I was in would even work um, in today's scenario. It's a story I hear a lot among that generational gap where a lot of parents are surprised when they realize their students can't just get a summer job, provide for the entirety of their college year, and of course with food and and everything else, and then just repeat that process uh, ad infinitum until college is complete, however long college is. Oh yeah. And I tell students that too, particularly freshmen and parents, I say you have to plan for four years. You can't come in to a college environment and plan on a college education and think that we just need to get the freshman semester. Um, You need to plan for four years. And it needs to be what I call a kitchen table conversation. Um, And how are you going to make that work over the course of, because the last thing we in financial aid, but my mantra is the worst thing that a student can do is start, particularly if they're getting loan funding to help them through the process and stop before they've attained the degree. Because that means you have debt without the degree to potentially give you the higher paying salary. So you can afford to pay that debt back. So that's why we're here. And that's what financial aid is for. Everybody that fills out the FAFSA qualifies for some form of financial aid. And by some form, students that don't have the need or the financial circumstances to warrant getting grants. In other words, their financial situation at home is a little bit better than than maybe on average. Um, and they can afford to, or their family can afford the, the expenses of college. They still qualify for loan funding. And some students will, will get the impression that loans aren't financial aid. What I try to explain is that actually loans, although they are funds that you have to repay, for a traditional age student, particularly you know, your standard freshman, sophomore, junior, senior, you wouldn't be able to go with a credit history that you typically would have. 
and qualify for a loan of any kind. Um, so based just based on the results of the FAFSA, no credit checks, no background checks, none of that stuff, you actually do get a loan. And again, I understand it's something that you have to repay, but it, it is a form of assistance to be able to help you financially get through your college year and your college career. So this report that came out, it claims that a lot of students aren't aware of, of their opportunities, of, of their advantages. Do you often encounter students that don't know what they can or, or can do? Yes, unfortunately. I kind of go back to the scenario I just told you about about myself. I got it one year and never applied for it again. And I really can't tell you why. I think that behavior, that perception is still pervasive today. Students will not apply because the FAFSA is difficult. It is lengthy and it can be confusing. Um, Each year the FAFSA comes out or the Fed comes out with enhancements that they've made to FAFSA to attempt to simplify it. And if any of your listeners follow the conversations that happen in Congress, there is a big push to dramatically simplify the FAFSA in coming years. Whether that will happen or not, I don't know. No one knows. So it is a complicated process, and it's not always self-intuitive. You don't necessarily, you're not necessarily to easily answer those questions. Another challenge that we come upon a lot is first-generation college students or students whose parents aren't available to help them. Their questions on the FAFSA, they find it very difficult, if not impossible, to answer without the help of an adult in their life to be able to talk to them about what taxes are and what the responses to the FAFSA should be. We, here in our office at NC State, we don't always help students complete the FAFSA. We do help them navigate certain portions and we'll help them navigate verification if they are selected. But there are places and events that are held around the area and around the country really that help families actually fill out the FAFSA. They'll get online, They'll fill it out with them. They'll get their FSA ID, which is their electronic signature. So the students won't necessarily find that kind of assistance in our office, but they do find that kind of assistance on FAFSA Day, which is once a year. Typically used to be in February, but now because you can fill out the FAFSA earlier. It's October, November. Um, it's generally around here. It is spearheaded by CFNC, and everybody is North Carolina knows College Foundation of North Carolina. And so there, there is assistance. There's also the guidance counselors provide assistance to students in high school. And there's a couple of states, Louisiana is one, and I think Texas is about to be the other one, I think it's Texas, where they are making it a requirement for students to graduate from high school that they complete the FAFSA. So then they're taking advantage of the resources that are available to them to complete it, and they don't have to do it on their own. So students will not fill out the FAFSA, even though that they think that they might qualify for aid. And then there are other students that think that they're not going to qualify for aid, so they simply don't complete it. And I discourage that behavior as well because you never know what you're going to get. So I'd like for them to at least do it, have experience with the process. You never know what's going to happen over the course of your academic year or your academic career and what can change and potentially Having that FAFSA done, even if you the only thing that you, you got was a loan and you decided to decline it, something might change later on in the year that makes that FAFSA a saving grace for you, potentially. I mean, I don't want to give you the impression that we are the be-all and end-all and we can solve all of the financial problems because that is so not the case. Every financial aid recipient would probably tell you that. But our challenge is 
battling that perception. Um, and it's not a perception that the FAFSA is hard because it is, but it is the perception that they can't help me or I'm not going to qualify for anything or I'm never going to get enough. So why Bob? Do you think some people are nervous the FAFSA functions kind of like a lottery system? And so that if they sign up, then it's a, it's a roll of the dice when that actually isn't the case? I don't get that perception because everybody that completes it does qualify for something. It may not be as much as they want. I think the biggest complaint is that most families, students and parents, will, when they get the results of the FAFSA back, they don't believe that it's really accurate and a true portrayal of what they can afford to pay for a child's education. And I understand that. I I was a parent of a college student myself and understand that that expected family contribution sometimes comes back higher than you expect it. It is a fair and equitable process. There are some times, though, that folks do take issue with process itself and the outcome. I know that the FAFSA has been a huge benefit to myself. It subsidized a great deal of my education. I, I went into the process thinking that I wouldn't really get anything out of it and that, you know, it it would be a lot of work for nothing. But you never know. Trying it out is uh, is really, really beneficial. And if you even if you get a little bit, that's a little bit you don't have to pay. It's a little bit you don't have to pay. And even if it's, you know, it's the cost of a book or two that you're getting and, you know, the other thing that, that you don't know and we don't know on an annual basis is what financial aid NC State or the institution is able to provide because we don't know how much money is available to us every year. We have a general ballpark, but, you know, we just did the huge annual giving campaign, NC State Day of Giving on March 27th, um, and financial aid potentially can be a recipient of that. There are people out in the community and alumni who continue to donate to scholarship funds um, and to need-based funds. So sometimes there's not as much money to go around, but other years we actually can spread the wealth much better. So again, you never know. And the first F in FAFSA stands for free. Thank you so much, Michelle Thompson. I really appreciate you coming into the studio today. Anytime. It was a pleasure to be here. Call me back again. I'm Aaron Kling with WKNC 88.1 I on the Triangle. And I'm here with Justin Osborne, and we are currently discussing his mobile RV legal service. Now, Justin, why have you chosen to take an RV for giving legal advice to customers? Sure. And and let me first thank you for having us on. We are an equal access law firm. And what that means in practical terms is that we believe that everyone deserves access to good legal help. So we sat down and looked at the obstacles that were preventing a lot of folks from getting help. And the RV was just one extension of that and a solution that we came up with. And so do some of your customers have difficulty reaching legal offices for advice on civil or criminal cases? Does the RV mitigate those difficulties? They do. What what exists in North Carolina currently is called a justice gap. And if you think about it on a spectrum, on one end, uh, you have individuals who are very uh, affluent, are able to purchase and get whatever legal resources they need. And on the opposite end, you have people who may qualify for legal aid or those services. But in between those two endpoints, uh, there's a huge gap of people who are unable to get the legal help they really need. That could be middle class individuals who don't qualify for legal aid. It could be lower income individuals who simply can't access some of those free services. And we're trying to fill that gap and try to be an option for those people who don't really fall into either pole. Unfortunately, most of the people that we meet at one point in time have had a negative experience with a law firm or a lawyer. 
And we try to, and it's intentional all the way through, we try to be as approachable and easygoing and informal as possible and just be there to answer questions. And when I say informal, there's nothing more informal than four lawyers sitting outside an RV in lawn chairs in polos and shorts and, and simply inviting anyone to come up and ask a legal question. I think that's what a lot of people deal with. And part of the intimidation factor is people don't like going to marble offices. They don't like going to high rises downtown where secretaries and other people they believe are looking down on them. Uh, Our goal is just to be a different type of resource that currently no one else is fulfilling. Yes. What kind of issues do you usually work with? We have a broad range of issues that we deal with, and we sort of categorize them in three groups. First, if a person's been injured, and that could be personal injury or workers' comp. If a person's been charged with a crime, so that's traffic tickets, DUIs, criminal defense, drug charges, things like that. And then finally, if someone is in a fight or dispute with someone, and that could be their employer, could be a landlord, it could be just someone they have a contract with, an HOA. We deal with things across the spectrum. And our goal when we're doing the, the RV services or at our office is to be plain speaking, very approachable, and give them an honest, truthful response and analysis of their problems. What made you make the jump from those marble offices you discussed to this RV? What was that kind of process like? When did the inspiration hit and, and how did you put it into action? Sure. The four of us, my partners and I, uh, all were in previously marbled offices and high rises downtown. And we've been doing that for a number of years. I've been practicing for nine years. And we knew that there was a, a desire that we had to do something that was on a more community level, do engagement with the, the neighbors and the communities that were around us. We weren't able to have that level of direct community engagement and involvement. So we decided to sort of turn it on its head and do something that was based entirely in the community. And we thought there's no better way to do that than to literally bring our practice into places where people live and work and meet them in those spaces and answer their questions. Excellent. What kind of questions do you typically get? How do people feel when this RV pulls up and and lawyers come piling out to them as opposed to them waiting for a secretary to bring them into an office? You know, the most common thing that we hear from people is that if we weren't sitting there that day, that they never would have spoken with a lawyer which is a great feeling for us and is exactly the kind of people that we're trying to meet with. We get a lot of questions about expunctions or expungements, people that have criminal records that uh, are preventing them from getting jobs or getting housing or or things of that nature. We have questions about traffic tickets a lot of times. And in those cases, we're pulling back the curtain and letting them know, you know, there are a lot of ways as an individual you can combat a traffic ticket without getting an attorney involved. Uh, a lot of what we do is is on the education and empowerment side and just letting people know that there are ways as an individual they can handle a lot of their legal issues without spending money. But obviously we're there if they need something beyond just those basic level of sort of self-fulfilling or, or self-actualizing uh, ways of helping themselves. I've also heard that you bring this RV to conventions. We do. So, so far we have been in seven cities here in North Carolina. Yesterday was our 26th pop-up. During that time, we volunteered 630 of our hours, and we've helped 333 people. We primarily pop up in shopping centers, try to find places where people are running errands already to make meeting with us as small of a time uh, inconvenience as possible. But we also do it on-site for community partners like the LGBT Center downtown and groups like that where we actually meet and have office hours for their members where we, we provide free legal advice. What have you done for the LGBT community? 
Is that kind of a different situation than your uh, RV system and, and your meeting with them? Or is that kind of a similar issue as far as legal advice goes? The only difference is we leave the RV at home because they have a great new space downtown on Hargett Street. We show up for the day and answer questions across the spectrum that folks deal with on an everyday basis when they encounter the law, but also we're there to help out on specific LGBT issues, things like name changes, issues of discrimination in housing, other specific concerns that they have that come up that are still you know, part and parcel with traffic tickets and everything else that affects the most of our community. What kind of reaction do you see from your customers on any given day, typically? The reaction has been, I can say, entirely positive. You know, when you're doing something new and entering a new space and doing it in a different way, there's always a concern that the public's going to react. Strangely, we were concerned that folks would look at us as ambulance chasers in the literal sense, but both the public, other members of the profession, everyone that we've encountered has been wildly encouraging and extremely supportive of this need that I think everyone in the legal profession knows exists. But at least until today, no one's really decided to make that a full-time mission outside of incredible groups like Legal Aid and a few others. Let's talk about that gap you mentioned. How do you feel that gap uh, came to be, and and how do you feel that people can combat that? You're definitely doing your part in your RV, and and other people are investigating um, ways that they can make a difference. But what can the average person do? That's a great question, and I think it requires sort of a complicated answer. The gap, I think, is historic. It's, uh, in a lot of cases, racially based. It's based in economics, uh, just a a clear divide of haves and have-nots. And so the same issues that we see in housing and a lot of other areas where gentrification is pushing people out or or folks can't afford to live where they grew up, the, the same problems affect people in the law. Most people aren't aware that on the criminal side, you have a right to a lawyer based in the Constitution, but on the civil side, you don't. So for anyone who is dealing with a, an estate, say someone in their, their family dies, if someone's dealing with, with a notice of foreclosure, someone's dealing with anything that can come up that is not going to result in them going to jail, they have to go pay a lawyer out of pocket in most instances in order to take care of that. And so that gap has existed for a long time, and we saw it in our prior practice was part of our motivation for starting this new law. We saw on a daily basis just the real-world consequences of an individual not having adequate legal representation and how that would affect them. People think, you know, criminal charges are the worst thing you could face, but if you're at risk of losing your home or risk of being kicked out by a landlord, that can have just as dire of consequences on your family and on your prospects in the future. So we knew there was importance and we knew there was a need and we just decided that we had to do something to, to take that on. So while I have you in the office, do you have any basic advice that could help out the general populace? <laughs> I do. First thing uh, for everyone listening who is a renter, while you may have a great landlord, you should always, always put everything in writing to your landlord. Phone calls and things like that, unfortunately, don't trigger a lot of their duties here in North Carolina. So always put things in writing to them if you need something fixed, if you have questions, concerns, shoot them a quick email, even a text, something in writing. And I would say a second good point for folks, if you get a traffic ticket, I'm going to pull back the curtain a little bit and and let you in on a dirty attorney secret. You can get a lot of the same results we can if you go down on your court date, go up to the ADA and say that you would like improper equipment. That is what most lawyers will do 
if you pay the money to go down and handle it. If the ADA says no, use the magic word continuance and then give us a call. But before that, you can absolutely resolve most of your traffic tickets by saying improper equipment. This magic word continuance, let's break it down. What exactly does that mean? You are allowed to to continue or basically postpone your trial and adjudication date three times here in North Carolina. And so you can walk down. uh, In most cases, the ADA will say, how do you plead? What do you want to do? If you just say the word continue or continuance, they will kick it to the next calendar date. Usually you buy yourself maybe a month's worth of time to make decisions or to come up with the money you might need for fees or fines. So you've always got a good chance to go down and say improper equipment. If they say no, say the magic word continuance, and then reach out to a lawyer because then you might actually need help. This may sound like a lot of legal jargon coming very quickly, folks, but I can attest that it's very important. At the end of my uh, community college period before I moved over to NC State, I got into a very bad car accident. And facing the legal system was something I was completely unprepared for uh, at that age, and I have to say even at this age. Knowing what to do, where to go, who to speak to, even what to wear can be valuable in changing a mistake to something you can learn from, something you can move on from. There's one other thing I would like to say, and let me first say that I agree with you completely, that knowing small details about the law, about to navigate the court system are crucial, and some of that you can find online, but that is a, that, that's an area that we pride ourselves in being a resource for the community. Um, what I can tell everyone that if you're interested in helping, please, please donate to your local legal aid society here in North Carolina. Unfortunately, the statistics are pretty shocking that for every 11,000 people that qualify for legal aid, there's only one legal aid attorney to help them. So a way to help solve the gap that we've been talking about, this justice gap, is to donate to the Legal Aid Society to make sure they are fully funded. Because while we're doing this more on a part-time basis than they are, they are really the frontline fighters in a lot of this and really are doing a lot of good in our state. Justin, earlier you mentioned Legal Aid. What is this group and what exactly do they give to the community? So Legal Aid exists uh, not only here in North Carolina, but in most states. And they uh, serve the indigent portion of our population, people under a certain income level. There are certain areas of the law that they specialize in. For instance, I uh, am a former volunteer of their housing division that would help people with landlord-tenant issues. There are certain types of cases they will take on. And when they take those cases on, it's not just legal advice. They step in as the attorney, as the lawyer, and represent clients all the way through. Because of that, because of the time commitment, their resources can be very stretched and there's definitely a finite amount of manpower to handle an overwhelming number of cases here in North Carolina that really need help. Thank you so much for coming in, Justin. I really appreciate you speaking here. Legal aid is something that anybody can learn from and it can be very valuable. I appreciate you coming into the studio today. Great. Thank you again. I'm Aaron Kling with 88.1 WKNC, Eye on the Triangle. That's all for this week's show. For a calendar of events on where Justin Osborne & Co. will be in their RV, check out their website at www.councilcarolina.com. Thank you to our live audience who has tuned in to hear our sets. It means a lot to us all here, and we're always happy to hear from you as well. That's right. If you have any burning questions or powerful opinions, hit us up at publicaffairs at wknc.org. 
We are also accepting applicants if you'd like to become a part of the Eye on the Triangle team. And be sure to check out our blog at wknc-eot.tumblr.com. Our intro music for today's show was Safe Sacks by Texas Radio Fish. Copyright 2019. Licensed under Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial 3.0 License. Stay tuned for usual programming of amazing indie music, and we'll see you all again next time. Take care now.